the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra, where Paul heals a man crippled from birth. To their horror, the people think they are gods and try to give them animal sacrifices. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 14, verse 5. Once again, that's Acts chapter 14, verse 5. When there was an assault made back here in Acts 14, there was an assault made, verse 5, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they fled. So they had finally had enough of these Jesus people. Keep hearing about Jesus. We've had enough of that. And they want to stone them, which shows that the Jews were the leading culprits of this attack, this assault, uh, because the Romans had different ways of dealing with criminals. And so when Paul and Barnabas were aware of it, when they learned about this plot to stone them, they fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia. So the first city they come to is Lystra, which you see it's just south of Lyconia, not very far, uh, but it's in the area of Lycaonia, the province of Galatia. It was one of the largest Roman provinces in Asia Minor. So they actually divided it into regions. And Lycaonia was the southernmost region of Galatia. So they come to Lystra here first, which is about 20 miles south of Iconium. It was a high tableland, so almost like a, a plateau area at the foot of the Black Mountain. It was ill-watered, but suited for sheep pasture. So it was kind of the backwater of the Roman province of Galatia. They kind of ran things their own way, which will become apparent shortly. Um, but the city of Lystra had been dedicated to Zeus before the Romans conquered the area. And despite being a large Roman city, it still maintains its native ways. It actually had its own language, which will be shown as we go through this passage here. Lystra, though, is also the home city of Timothy who will later become Paul's protege. So verse six, it mentions here, they fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Lycaonia and unto the region that lies round about. And there they preached the gospel. What do they do again? They just give them Jesus. They preached the gospel. Word here preached actually means they were continually preaching the gospel. In other words, this was an extensive outreach. Verse eight will highlight one of the unique days in this outreach. We'll get to that in a moment. But what I think is interesting is there's a lot of days that went on that aren't mentioned here. How many of those days were occupied with faithful service, but not necessarily noteworthy highlights? I suggest this because we can easily become discouraged if nothing grand or earth-shattering occurs in ministry or an area that we're serving. But you know, God's in the business of doing the earth-shattering things. We're to be in the business of doing the faithful things, right? That's our role. That's our role. And when Calvary... We're kind of an interesting movement. Sometimes people have a little bit of a hard time placing us because in the 60s, when everybody was 
kind of turning away all these kids out of the church and they're searching for truth and no one wanted anything to do with them because they were so messed up. All these hippies started getting saved. And it's not just unique to Calvary. There are other groups that that happened with as well. And then we just gave them God. We gave them the word. And I say we as the generation before me. But, you know, loved them, gave them Christ, taught the word. And it grew into a revival. They didn't quite know what to do because it was just a simple thing of teaching the Bible and being dependent upon the Holy Spirit. But in the midst of that, as the enemy always does, there came a group that said, we want to do more of the miraculous. We want more of the supernatural. And so there's a group that broke away and wanted to do their own thing. And they got really weird for a while. And so at Calvary, we kind of, and this is where my generation comes around, is we started to kind of get hush-hush about the Holy Spirit and hush-hush about the supernatural. And, and there was this balance between this one group that was out there into the weird lands. And then he had us who were kind of trying to make sure we didn't get weird. So we kind of pulled away. And I remember as I was at school and beginning to pastor that we started to hear, again, we need to really seek the face of God. We always are going to be people of the word, but we want to be open to whatever God wants to do. We don't want to close it off. I was reading in a book called Storm by Jim Simula, and he talks about how he went to go preach at a church, and he was a guest speaker. And so they were gathering together before the service, and the guy who was organizing everything, he said, all right, Joe, you're going to lead the prayer today, and you've got a minute and a half. You went four minutes last time. Make sure you keep it in line, and, and then worship. You guys got 20 minutes, and Jim, you've got 30 minutes to preach, and then we're going to close with a song, four minutes, and then we're done. Out of here by this time. And Jim said, hey, you know, I was wondering if I could have a few moments to lead the congregation in prayer afterwards. He said, no, we don't have time for that. And then he said, let's pray. And he prayed, he said, and Holy Spirit, please direct and lead our service. <laughs> he can't, you've given him no room. There needs to be a flexibility for God to do earth shattering things. We're to be in the business of being faithful. I shared that story because that group that broke away, there was a time when a pastor, he was visiting a Calvary and taught the Bible and and he was sitting next to the pastor and he said, hey, when, when are you guys going to do something? The pastor said, what are, you, what are you talking about? He said, well, when are you going to do something? You know, I mean, I see worship. I see it was assistant pastor he's talking to. And the pastor's teaching. You know, he said, well, I don't see anything happening. And he goes, well, we, we believe that we teach the Bible here. We go through the word. He goes, yeah, the Bible's boring. He said, I want to see something. The Bible will never be boring here. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe because I'm doing a poor job of it, but the Bible will never be boring. It speaks words of life to us. You give people Jesus, and then you let him do what he wants, right? Well, verse 8, something earth-shattering does occur. And so it says here, um, on this one day, we don't know when it was, it says, there sat a certain man at Lystra who was impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. It's almost like Luke wants to get the point across. He's been a cripple, impotent in his feet, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. I would think he never walked if he was a cripple from his mother's womb. But the point that I think Luke's trying to say is something supernatural occurred. You need to understand that. It's not natural. It was not a new workout program. This was not changing his diet. This was a supernatural event where God invaded our world. And so it says here that the same heard Paul speak, the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. This guy never walked. It mentions here in verse eight that he sat. He sat and it's in the imperfect tense, which means he always sat there. That's what he did. He couldn't take himself anywhere else. And maybe like this guy, you feel stuck today. Maybe like Job crying out to God for an explanation and for deliverance. I'm in Job in my devotions right now. And there's a verse there. It's one of the saddest verses in all of scripture. And Job in chapter 17, verse 14, he says, 
I have said to corruption, you are my father, and to the worm, you are my mother and my sister. And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? Talk about feeling stuck. Corruption, he just, he's just going to rot. That's, all his life is left to do is to just die. And, and he actually, in moments throughout the book, he cries out. He says, God, why don't you just take me? You know, the, I have to confess something. I ran over a squirrel today. I broke my heart. It was, I'm, I'm on my way to church and, I'm, and I'm, I was, you know, wanted to turn around because you see the little tail flapping behind you. And, and, and I mean, and, and I love animals. So all I'm thinking about is what, what that felt like as the tire. Never mind. Um, I was bothered, you know? And I thought, what a dumb way to die. I mean, I was driving and we're in the neighborhood. I wasn't going that fast. And he just darts out. I mean, at, right in front and he's, he's gone. I just pray, Lord, you said you're with every bird that falls. Please take, take that poor squirrel's life fast so he can just not have to suffer. And there's sometimes life, I'm afraid. I mean, that's what happened. He got afraid for some reason. He ran across the road and he was over. And sometimes in life we... We get fearful or we're frustrated and we feel crushed. I want to encourage you that God sees and hears. This guy sat in that gate every day. Just sat. And God sees and hears even if you don't see him. You never become a common sight, easy to ignore to him. Never. He's able to save you. Well, Paul, it says, as this guy is listening to him speak, he's, the word heard here, again, it's in the imperfect. He's listening the entire message. He's really grasping it. And Paul perceives, it says, Paul steadfastly beholding. Paul sees him and he kind of locks eyes with the guy and he's just looking at him. He's staring at him. And as he's staring at him, he perceives that he had faith to be healed. Now, whether God gave him a word of knowledge or, again, the man's response to Christ was written all over his face on the the emotions he was experiencing, but Paul was telling he was receiving this message and that that he had faith to be healed. And and the reason I say he's receiving the message is because that word healed there, there's two different words in the Greek for healed. And this one, it means to be made whole. And so therefore, it refers to both spiritual and physical healing. So after looking at him long enough while preaching, Paul, he sees this guy is receiving the message and he raises his voice and he tells him to stand up, tells him to do the impossible. Now, whether people in the area had been paying attention as a whole to his preaching or not, they were now because in that culture, he didn't just yell for no reason. And so Paul speaks with a loud voice. He says, hey, stand upright on your feet. And the guy leaped and walked. He jumped up and he just, he's strutting around. He's like, my legs, they work. And he's just doing this. And of course that draws a crowd because they see him every day. This is pretty nutty. See what happens here. Verse 11, when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice saying in the speech of Lycaonia. In other words, they resort back to their, they're so blown away by this miracle. They resort and revert to their native language. And they start yelling, saying in the speech of the Lycaonians, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. They think their gods have come to visit them. Now, it seems that neither Paul or Barnabas knew this language because they don't realize what's going on at first. They don't stop it right away because they don't know what's going on. So they, and they called Barnabas Jupiter, which is the Roman version of Zeus, and Paul Mercurius, who would be the Roman version of Hermes. Uh, Barnabas probably looked more imposing than Paul, so they called him Zeus. Um, Paul described himself in 2 Corinthians 10.10 as not impressive to look at. In fact, he said that was a criticism people gave him. They said, no, he's bold in speech, in his letters, when he writes, but when he shows up, he's kind of puny. 
really, they say Paul was a short man. They say he was just over five feet tall. He was a short man. They said his voice was not particularly desirable to hear. It was not a soothing voice. So they figured, well, the most important guy is probably Barnabas. This guy's a little whiny sounding. And then they figured he was the messenger because he was the one that spoke. So he was Hermes, who was the messenger of the gods, uh, Zeus's spokesman. And so then the priest of Jupiter, verse 13, which was before their city brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. So a statue of Zeus was right out in front of the city as well as a temple there. And the high priest of Zeus, he comes and he brings oxen and garlands. Now, garlands, uh, they're very common in pagan worship rituals. They'd be made into wreaths. They'd be placed upon the heads of statues to gods, or they'd be wrapped around a staff, or sometimes they'd wrap them around the offerings that were made, which is probably what they planned to do here. They'd wrap these things up in garland and sacrifice them, and then they'd celebrate. Um, And they would have done sacrifice with the people, which is what it says. Now, at this point, Paul and Barnabas figure out what's going on. And so verse 14 says, and when the apostles... Barnabas and Paul heard of this or realized it was going. They understood is what heard means there. They understood. They rent, they tore their clothes and they ran in among the people crying out. And then they begin to try to stop them. Now, tearing your clothes off and rushing the crowd isn't exactly traditional Greek God behavior. That's not something you find in the mythologies. And you kind of have to wonder, don't Paul and Barnabas know how to work a crowd? Don't they know how to work a crowd here? But you know what? Once they realized what's going on, they didn't hesitate for a moment to stop it. And I wish the pastor worship that occurs in many of our churches in the West here today received the same response. As leaders, does it horrify us if someone seeks to glorify us instead of Jesus? And I just pray as the Lord, I don't want anyone to think this was a great sermon. I want to think that you're a great God. Give them Jesus. They don't need anything of me. <laughs> they don't need anything of you. Do we rush to stop the praise and say, listen, I'm no different than you. My message is that you should turn from glorifying empty things and toward the only God. Because if that's not your response right now, then you've missed the point. That's what he says, verse 15. Sirs, why do you do these things? I love that response because the idea is it's in the present tense. And so it means, why do you keep on doing these things? You've been living this way your whole life, glorifying empty things. Worshiping something created by man rather than the creator. One of the most popular preachers in the U.S. was asked if the spiritual condition recently of our country and the church was getting better or worse. And he said, I think it's getting better. And the guy said, well, that, you're kind of in the minority there. He said, why do you think that? And this is a quote. Well, a big church years ago was 1,000 people. Now we see lots of churches filled with 10,000 people. I think we're getting more spiritual. What? <laughs> Apparently, Paul and Barnabas didn't go to that school of ministry. Having a crowd chanting their names wasn't a spiritual improvement in their eyes. They called them to repentance from the idolatry of man worship. He says, we are also men of like passions with you, and we preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. We are calling you to turn from the very thing you're about to do. You know, the church struggles so much. We struggle so much with these issues of truth. The current debate on homosexuality in the church, it's such a mess. Because on the one hand, you've got people with signs telling gays to go to hell. And then you've got other people who are just saying there's nothing wrong with homosexual behavior at all, with sexual morality at all. One of the best answers regarding the current debate on homosexuality, I, I found it uh, in an article by Matt Moore. 
And his quote, I'm so good. He says, homosexual desire and all other sinful desire exists in the hearts of people because worship of God doesn't. That is the heart of the issue. It's not about homosexuality. It's not about living together before you're married. All those things are wrong. But the problem is the reason they even exist is because the concept of worship and our submission to God doesn't exist in our hearts. That's just one manifestation of the fact that that's absent from my heart. When I don't acknowledge God in my heart and worship him, then God gives me over to myself. That's what Romans 1 says. Romans 1, homosexuality is a sin. Yes, duh, you know, not a problem. I think that's pretty clear. But the other problem started it. Just like it started all the other mess we have. This is what the gospel calls us to turn from. Not these individual sins, but from a heart that worships self our own empty idols, whatever they may be, to yield my heart and life to the majesty of the one who made me and died for me. That's their need. When I see a gay person, I don't say, we need to talk. We need to talk about your, your gayness. You know what? I, I get people all the time, for whatever reason, I, I, I have been able to interact with a lot of people who come from a, a gay or lesbian lifestyle. They seem to be our waiters a lot, our servers, and, and we don't treat them any different. We love them. I still, at the end of the receipt, I'll write John three sixteen. I'll write down a little verse. Hey, remember, Jesus loves you so much. Thank you so much for serving us today. And give him a decent tip. You know, why? Because in the end, all that other stuff, (laughs) let me ask you a question. And this is something the Lord hit me with. See, because the issue in my day, when I was a kid, was not that. When I was a kid, the big issue was everybody living together before they got married. Now that's just a foregone conclusion. And I remember my first job I had, so my first real interaction with people who were in college and adults who I was going to be hanging out with as a teenager, was at Taco Bell. And I remember there was a, a guy there who's a manager and his girlfriend, they were living together. And I would talk to him all the time. You guys are in sin. You guys need to repent. You guys are in sin, you know? I remember I was driving home one day and the Lord said to me, what if they decide to get married or they move out and decide to have a, a relationship that's pure? I said, Lord, that'd be great. And he said, yeah, they just go to hell pure instead of living together. I remember it rocked me. And I realized, I said, Lord, I need to change the way I'm doing things, don't I? Yeah, you do. Give them Jesus. Give them Jesus. Give them the gospel. The chief element of sin in their heart is they don't want to worship God. They want to do things their own way. And when that changes... The Lord seems to clean up all the other messes, doesn't he? Right? We still call sin, sin. We don't call things that are sin, not sin. But we need to give him Jesus because he's the only one who can change us. I didn't change myself. I remember at that same job, I was explaining to my boss, who's an evolutionist, and I was explaining to him how God had changed my life. God's not real. I said, no, you don't understand. I was someone completely different than I used to be. Just ask everybody I know. I said, he changed me. There's nothing that explains that. He changed me. But I didn't change myself to make myself more presentable to him so that he'd go, oh, you're nice and clean now. Come on into the kingdom. That's what Christ died for, that pride, that whole concept of works righteousness. He died for that. It nailed him to the cross, this idea that I can clean myself up and bring myself to Jesus and he'll go, good job, son. You can be part of the family. That nailed him to the cross. That's what put him there, my pride, the legalism. So what does God call us to do? Verse 16. 
Turn from these vanities to the living God who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. In the past, God allowed us. Acts 17.30 says the same exact thing when Paul was preaching on Mars Hill. It says, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. That's Acts 17.30. God's call to repent of sin and believe in Christ is a command. Prior to the cross, God allowed humanity to go its own way. But the cross and the resurrection, it started a clock. Jesus will not sit still watching his bride be battered by a cruel, wicked world forever. He won't let the world he bled for consume itself in war, perversion, and selfishness until we wipe ourselves out. He will take control of what is rightfully his someday. That's what the book of Revelation is, by the way. Christ entering into what already belongs to him. He will take control of what is rightfully his. So this period of grace, this time to repent and be saved, it's now. And yet even in the past, God still tried to reach the world through his goodness. Verse 17, nevertheless, he left not himself without witness and that he did good. And he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Despite the world's embrace of other gods and God's allowance of it, God didn't remove himself from his creation. Instead of wiping us all out, he gave us times of prosperity to enjoy life. And God doesn't have to do any of that. Certainly not to those who are his enemies. And yet God is good. It's his nature to bless. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Remember that Captain Naaman from the Syrian army? He invades Israel and carries off a bunch of slaves. I mean, talk about a bad guy. One of those slave girls, man, she loved the Lord. And Naaman was a leper. And if you've ever studied leprosy, that's not something that's exactly easy to go through. And she saw all the things he was trying to do to fix himself up. And she came to him, this slave girl that he had taken from her home. And she preached the Lord to him. Said, listen, there's a God in Israel and he can help my Lord with this. And so Naaman went down to go see the prophet and God healed him. God didn't know him that, but he did. And God, by his kindness, he draws so many people to his side. Isn't that what he did with you and me? I remember the first time that I felt like God not just loved the world, but loved me, that he cared about me. And I knew I didn't deserve it. And he kept saying, come, come on, don't stay away. I know, I know what you've been. I don't care. Come, let's make it right. You know, that old verse from Isaiah, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. I remember what it was like to come that first time to take that chance that God would love me in spite of me. It was his kindness, his bands of loving kindness that drew me. Well, verse 18, and with these sayings, scarcely did they restrain the people. They could barely refrain them from doing this that they had not done sacrifice unto them. And you know, I'd criticize these guys of Lystra for their stubbornness, but don't we do the same sometimes? God say, no, this is bad. No, 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 I think it's a good idea. No, it's bad. Let me tell you why it's bad. And you read the word and you go, I don't know. And, and we think about doing it anyway. And I, every time the cable guy comes to the door and he's got a deal, every time it ends, I, again, I'm a sports guy. I don't have cable, so I can't watch any of the ESPN games or whatever. So it's like torture. I, and you say, oh, they got apps where you can see the scores. It's not the same. <laughs> 
there I am, you know, I got my laptop open, I'm just watching and it's just not the same. And so every time it comes in, only $19.99 for the first six months, then you pay $2,000 a month. And, 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 and the Lord has told me, well, you don't need this. You have plenty of other things that can distract you in life. You don't need this. You don't want to open these. And if you have cable, don't be condemned. This is just my family. You don't want to open these doors unless you need to be condemned. Um, I don't, you don't want to open these doors for your kids. They might watch something that might be unhealthy for them. So we, we just don't have cable. But every time that comes, I get tempted. Oh, Lord, but you know, we'll do this. We'll do that. We'll block the channel. And, and, and you know, we're just, you know, you're shaking his head. No, this is not for your good. So I can't criticize these guys because I can be just as stubborn sometimes. Are you being stubborn about something? Maybe you keep trying to push the boundaries in the area of the Lord saying, this is not good for you. I want to encourage you to yield to the Lord. Don't fight him on it. Well, that brings us to the end of our study today. And we can wipe our brows because rock star preacher crisis for Paul and Barnabas is averted. But it wasn't the last crisis they'd face. And so you have to come back to find out what happens. So would you join me in prayer as we just ready our hearts for a time of reflecting on what Christ did for us on the cross? I can't think of a better way to finish a message titled Give Him Jesus than to remember what Christ did for us and to be left with that. So Lord, now we commit this time to you. And so Lord, as we do so, give us a vivid image of what you've done for us, the price that you paid, that our hearts might just rise up in thankfulness and gratitude and surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407 523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.